sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. More than 200 people were killed during Easter services, the most recent in a wave of terror attacks on houses of worship around the world with roots in nationalist movements. Reports do indicate that Sri Lankan authorities have shut down social media and also imposed a nationwide curfew to stop the flow of misinformation and also ensure that civilians there remain safe. The United States stands ready to help in anything that we can do and look forward to helping bring these individuals that are responsible to justice. And again, uh, our, our hearts, our prayers, our thoughts are with the people. Now, filling in for Stacey Washington, here's Mickey Addison. Welcome to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm Miki filling in for Stacy Washington, and it's great to be with you. This is hour two of uh, the two-hour tour that is Stacy on the Right. Um, thank you for listening. Really do appreciate it. Want to remind you at this point about the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference that is coming to Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, June 20th through the 22nd. You can learn more about that when you go to urbanfamilytalk.com. This is American Family Association and Hope Church-sponsored um, conference that is coming to uh, our headquarters here in Tupelo, Mississippi, June 20th through the 22nd, as I said. And uh, among the featured speakers is going to be uh, Jay Warner Wallace, and uh, we're going to be talking about Apologetics. We're also going to talk to Stephen Black and Laura Perry, where we're going to talk about sexual identity and uh, really being able to give you a defense for your faith or to help shore up the defense that you already have uh, in the word of God for your faith. You know, we, when we think about apologetics, and I say this and I want to double back to it, it's so important for us to understand what we're talking about, that we're not just talking about a defense for things like the age of the earth or the creation of the stars for the hope that lies within us, um, that lies within us. That is important, but it's also having a defense for the reason we engage the culture differently. Uh, when you look at the context, and I cannot stress this enough, it just jumps off the page at you. But when you look at the context of the Apostle Peter, by the Spirit of God, writing to persecuted Christians, writing to suffering Christians, and he is instructing us by the Spirit of God, again, all scriptures breathed out by God, he's instructing Christians how to live in situations that are less than ideal. So you've got Christians who are persecuted. You've got a husband and wife relationship where maybe the husband is not saved. Then you've got slave master relationship, the slave and the master relationship where the picture is painted and it's not left to anything where you could say, well, we don't know if this is a good condition or it's a bad. No, it's bad conditions. He's he's saying honor the emperor. Well, you're persecuting us. Right. Um, be good to your fellow man. Right. Honor your fellow man. Well, these people are ratting us out. They're saying that they're Christians who live there. But the the admonition is still to honor those people, still to love the brotherhood, but to, yes, also honor these people for the wife to submit to her husband, even though he may be unsaved. And what is uh, Peter building up to here? What is our brother saying? Ultimately, he's getting to the place where you put yourself in a position where you're ready and willing to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that Jesus left us a pattern of suffering so that we would follow his example. But then he says that we live the type of lives that when people scrutinize our lives, they look at our lives, they are then left asking the question, why? Why are you doing that? Why are you living that way? Why do you have hope that that motivates you or that pushes you toward that type of radical engagement? 
In other words, why do you set aside all of your rights? You have a certain amount of rights, right? You have the right to be happy. You have the right to just do what you want and don't let people talk to you sideways. You have that right. You can defend yourself. You get after it. But what is the Apostle Peter saying? He's saying basically that Jesus Christ left us an example of setting aside all of his rights. When reviled, he didn't revile in return. He suffered. Why? Leaving for us a pattern as to how we should suffer. For what purpose? For what reason? To bring glory to God. The same reason Jesus suffered. To bring glory to God. To honor God. That through his sacrifice, God is glorified and we are redeemed. And isn't it interesting that the same parallel exists that Peter says through our living a godly life, being willing to suffer that God is glorified, our lives should provoke people to ask us why we have this hope. This is first Peter chapter three fifteen. that our living would then provoke people to ask us why we have this hope. In other words, what happens? We lead people to Jesus. The ultimate aim is redemption. It's the saving of their soul. It's that they would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because of our pattern, our modeling suffering as the Lord Jesus did. So in the midst of a secularized culture, that's where we are today, guys. That's where we are. Our culture has secularized and and people could keep um, pretending to live in Mayberry if you want you know, I, I joke about this with, with, with Will. You know, I say people can continue, continue to think that you can still get a Coke for a nickel and get a Coke for a quarter. You can continue, you know, daydreaming about a time where you didn't have to lock your doors at night. But that's not where we live, folks. That's not the time that we're living in. We're living in a time that's quite different. And the question is, Are we going to live in such a way that when people see how we live and they press us, we're able to give a defense? Let me give you an example. So you're a baker. You own a bakery. You've got two men who come in and they want you to put two men on top of a wedding cake. And you know that refusing to do this could cost you your business. I would say that that falls squarely in the category of suffering. I would agree. I would say, yep, that's going to be suffering for you. The question is, how do you provide a defense for your faith? Do you say, oh, I don't know. I just think that's gross. Say, oh, I don't know. I just, I just can't do it. I just, that's not tradition. It's just not what you do. Or do we have a more robust apologetic than that? Do we have a biblical defense for human sexuality? Is there, a, is there a reason that goes beyond whether or not we think something is icky or gross or disgusting or whether we personally prefer it? Do we have a defense for marriage that goes beyond us? Do we have an objective reason that we would stand against the marring of the institution of marriage? Well, yeah, we do. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians that The picture of marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. So we're not defending marriage and saying that it's between one man and one woman because we just like that. We're not defending marriage as being between one man and one woman because that makes us comfortable. (laughs) We don't defend our right to conscience in this country because we just want to discriminate against people. As a thoughtful Christian, 
as a biblically based Christian, strong scriptural authority, evident in your life, you say, no, we, we can't do anything against the truth. We can't do anything against the truth. So when we have this, 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 you know, obvious message in the scriptures that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, we can't rework that. We can't change that to fit our modern construct. When we read that Jesus says, you know, that God made them male and female from the beginning. He is doubling down on the picture of marriage. So what can we do against the truth? All of this and more is going to be covered at the Marriage, Family and Life Conference. And I want you to be a part of it. I do. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be equipped to give a defense for your faith. You don't have to be left that person that is always sort of, you know, scratching their head or bumbling on and and not knowing how to give a reasonably sound defense for where you stand in culture. Because the fact of the matter is that increasingly you're going to have opportunities where you're going to have to do just what Peter, first Peter chapter three, 15 calls you to do. Be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies, lies within you. And you do it with respect. You do it with gentleness, do it with humility, all of those things, but you do it, but you do it. I got some stories here in front of me and I, I'll just get right into this first one here and we'll probably have to pick up with it on the other side of the break. But it should be startling to you because when we look at where the culture is today, I am telling you increasingly when you stand against the wickedness, against the foolishness and against what just 10 years ago we would have said is child abuse. When you stand against it now, you're going to be perceived as the hateful one. Here is the headline. This is a story from the Daily Wire. And this is the headline that grabbed my attention. Uh, Charlize Theron says this. My seven-year-old son is really a girl. No, no, he's not. Your seven-year-old son is your seven-year-old son. He is male. He is not a girl. Ten years ago, we would have called that child abuse. Ten years ago, we would have thought there is something wrong with this woman. Why is she getting airtime? Why is she making news headlines? She would have been excoriated in the public. This this is child abuse. What are you doing to that poor kid? But now she is held up and celebrated as this progressive, triumphant mom who is allowing for her kid to walk in his truth, but she would say her truth. Of course, because here we speak the truth. It's his. Those are the pronouns we're using. We're using the pronouns that are biologically evident. Here's a story. Actress Charlize Theron is in the headlines for revealing that she has been raising her adopted seven-year-old son as a girl since he was just three years old allowing him to wear dresses and frequently referring to him as she. I'm quoting her here now. Yes, I thought she was a boy too, until she looked at me when she was three years old and said, I am not a boy, end quote. Just know, people, whenever you hear me using confusing pronouns, when I've just given you the background on the story, know that that's a direct quote, and it pains me to even use that direct quote, but it is a direct quote. Know that it is not a signal that I in any way agree with the pronouns that have been chosen. 
What we're talking about is Charlie Theron publicly admitting that she abuses her son by dressing him as a girl. That's what we're reading. That's what we're discussing. And now in in this pagan country that has increasingly shown itself to be pagan and in full rejection of the standards of God's morality, rightness and wrongness, this is celebrated. It seems it seems unreal. It seems unreal. Can you um, I just want you to think back just maybe 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, maybe maybe even five years ago, six because things have happened and changed so quickly in this country. But think, think back even five, six years ago, if somebody had come out publicly and said in private, I've been dressing my son as a girl since he was three, people would have said, that's abuse. That's child abuse. Why are you doing that? Someone would have said maybe five, six years ago, um, that's bullying. That's that is the same thing as big sisters bullying their little brother and making him put on women's clothing or dressing him in makeup. You would have said, how dare you do that? How dare you hurt that little boy in that way? But now, but now. In the last five years, when these stories come out, we say. Well, there's another one. And it's not there's another one that has been abused. It's there's another one, you know, getting to walk in his truth, live his truth. Back to this Daily Wire article, quoting Charlize Theron again. She says this. So there you go. I have two beautiful daughters who just like any parent, I want to protect and I want to see thrive. End quote. So there you go. (laughs) Theron continued, quote, they were born who they are and exactly where in the world both of them get to find themselves as they grow up and who they want to be is not for me to decide. When we get back on the other side of this break. We'll discuss what Charlie Theron says her job is as a parent, and we'll see how that comports with scripture. That's our that's our straight edge. That's our authority. Is she making a point here? Is she making a valid point? We're gonna have to take it to the book to know for sure. Aaron the Addison's Urban Family Talk. No, it's not Aaron the Addison's, it's Stacy on the right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've seen God open up so many doors for us to help serve and love those who get affected by a natural disaster. As the trees and the wind started crashing down around us, my wife was, of course, very diligently praying, you know, Lord, please be with us. Very simply, we do it because God commands us to love others. I see these volunteers all as a gift from God. And I'm just grateful they're here, you know, helping out. It's a blessing. If you're interested in becoming a part of what God's doing through 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com, click on Get Involved, submit your email address. I've noticed that whenever there's a time in my life when um, things might be a little gloomy, the number one thing that I can do is to go serve somebody. And uh, I would encourage anyone else to, uh, it's worth it, come out and do it next time if you didn't make it to this one. And um, the Father will really bless you in it. Thank you so much for your prayers and volunteering with 8 Days of Hope. 
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Consider this scenario. Your organization, it could be a business or a ministry, has its leader someone who shows what looks like early stages of dementia. He has a family history of Alzheimer's disease and gets key facts confused and has language skills that are starting to deteriorate. It's not hypothetical. I had to face it with my own father and later with a leader of a Christian ministry. But what if that leader is the president of the United States? The examples authors and psychologists are citing these days may merely be the result of an exhausted president misspeaking. But as these examples keep adding up, voters might become concerned. Before we get too far into the 2020 election, people around the president should advise him to get a neurological evaluation. Yes, Dr. Ronnie Jackson did administer a short test when he was the president's physician, but that only ruled out full-blown dementia. Omarosa Newman, in her book, describes how President Trump does not have the same mental faculties he did years earlier when he was taping The Apprentice. Michael Wolff writes in his book, Fire and Fury, how President Trump did not recognize old friends at Mar-a-Lago. The other day, President Trump told an audience that his father was born in Germany. He was born in the Bronx. Trump's grandfather was born in Germany. Listen to how the president puts words together. Professional psychologists point to examples of semantic paraphasia, choosing incorrect words in a sentence, and phonemic paraphasia, where a non-word is used that only has part of the intended word. Perhaps the most telling to me is how the president, like my father, jumps from one idea to another in free association by jamming together a lot of non-sequiturs. One question that will likely surface in the 2020 election is, does the president have dementia? The best way to answer that question is to get an evaluation. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thank you so much for listening to Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm Miki in for Stacey Washington, and it's great to, to be with you today. Coming up uh, in the last segment, we're going to talk Chick-fil-A. It's one of my favorite subjects. Don't make any jokes. It's just true. Um, but before we do that, I want to finish up what I was talking about in the first segment. Uh, Charlie Theron, uh, the actress, <laughs> Charlie Theron, uh, we know her because acting. Okay, that's I just want people to know because we you know, we often talk about these people as if, you know, this is, you know, these people are the great philosophers of our day or that they have proven their, you know, intellectual acumen and and we should pay attention to them. That's nope. That's not why we know. That's not it. That's not why we know them. We know them because, you know, acting. That's why. And so I just want to make sure that we kind of recalibrate and everybody's all on the same page. So Charlie Theron um, has adopted two children. And one of those two children, she is saying, um, is a girl, though she originally thought he was a boy um, and is now admitting publicly that she has dressed her son in girls clothes from the age of three. He's now seven years old. By all definitions, that is and should be classified as child abuse. But we live in the kind of uh, declined culture that that now is celebrated. She is a champion of LGBTQ plus rights. She's now become an ally. At three years old, her son said to her that he is a girl and she agreed. And before we go into break, I wanted to get into what she said or believes her role is as a parent. So I want to go back to this Daily Wire story. You can check it out for yourself, by the way. Uh, but Charlie Theron defined parenting as simply celebrating her children as they wish to be, 
rather than being (laughs) a guide to direct her children. (sighs) That'll make you scratch your head. That'll that'll make you scratch your head. It's it's almost like um, if if there could be any more of a basic definition of a parent than to guide your children, to train your children. um, I don't know of one. I mean, but that I mean, yeah, it, it goes without saying that you're to love your children, that you're to nurture your children, that you're to care for your kids basic needs. But I think, you know, those those defining sort of fingerprints of a parent would be that you are training your kid, that you are guiding your kid along. Your kid is not just growing up as a wild weed that you that you are instructing and training your kid. And Charlie Theron is saying, you know, the actress Charlie Theron is saying, nope, that's not what I'm here to do. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm I'm here to celebrate my kid as they wish to be. I'm not here to be a guide or I'm not here to direct them. I'm just here to celebrate them as they wish to be. I remember our son, um, you know, went through a season where uh, he was crawling around all the time, thought he was a dog. You know, he's barking. And we have another son who for a while um, liked to walk around, uh, curl his fingers under, pretend to be an ape. You know, just, you know, just and right. So so by Charlie Theron's logic, what we should have done was just nurture that we should just encourage him, you know, toward being a dog or encourage the other one towards being an ape, you know. And, and even now we've got we've got we've got our boys who from time to time uh, take on different personas as superheroes. We've got Miles Morales. We've got Spider-Man in our house. I mean, we've got we've got Iron Man. And and so what Charlize Theron is saying is that we don't guide them. We yeah, we we allow for some fanciful play. But really, I mean, if they decide that that's who they are, we just allow it. We don't tell them that this is make believe or that this is not reality. Right. We just allow it. But, you know, I would say that this my comparison here actually falls flat because allowing your kid to pretend to be a superhero. Right is not the same thing as taking your son and dressing him up as a girl. Because that's how he wants to express himself creatively. It's not the same thing. One, I think, without objection, people would say is child abuse. Let me continue with our quote, and then we're going to kind of pick it apart here and uh, turn to the word of God. Uh, she says, my job as a parent is to celebrate them. I'm quoting Charlie Theron here, who says that her seven-year-old son is not a son. He's her daughter. Okay. She says, my job um, as a parent is to celebrate them and to love them and to make sure that they have everything they need in order to be what they want to be. She continues, and I will do everything in my power for my kids to have that right and to and to be protected within that, end quote. Her job as a parent is to celebrate her kid. To make sure that they have everything they need in order to be what they want to be. Now, the thing about that is that in context of what we're talking about, people would hear that and say, oh, that's rubbish. They would say that is absolute trash. Like, of course not. Of course, you you are not supposed to just cater to your kids every every whim. And you're not here to make sure that they are what they want to be like. I mean, who believes that? But really, if you detach this from its sexual identity story, that's the belief of a lot of American parents. (laughs) It's the belief of a lot of American parents. We work two and three jobs. We never rest. We have our kids going here. We have our kids going there. They're involved in this activity. They're doing that sport. And why? Because we feel it's our job to make sure that they have everything they want 
and that they are able to be precisely what they want to be. Isn't it interesting how when you take that thought and you detach it from something that is sinister, like sexual identity, it maybe sounds innocent, but the root and the heart of it is still the same. You have children who are raising parents and not parents who are raising children. And is this what the Bible prescribes? Does the, does the Bible prescribe children raising their parents or is it the other way around? It's absolutely the other way around. But it should jolt us. It should startle us just a little bit that you have a person like Charlie Theron who is able to, with a straight face, say, you know, my son, I adopted him and I thought he was a boy. He says he's a girl. And so because my job is to make sure that he gets to live exactly how he wants to live, I'm allowing it. And we see that as sinister. We see that as something that's, oh, my goodness, I cannot, I cannot with you, Charlize. I cannot. But that's what we do. Some of us, that's what we do as Christian parents. We'll do whatever it takes to make sure that our kid lives the kind of life that they want or that we think is best for them apart from the word of God. But what does the word of God say? Proverbs chapter 22, verse six says, train up a child in the way he should go. Wait a minute. You mean don't just let him go however he wants to go, do whatever he wants to do. We train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And this works in the reverse too. training a kid to be entitled training a kid to be bratty that the world revolves around them, that whatever it is that they want, that they get to have it right there in that moment. When they grow up, they don't depart from that. Works in the reverse too. We tend to only think of this as something that, you know, oh, this is good. We'll train a kid. But if you train the kid wrongly, then they wrongly stick to wrong as they get older. Charlie Theron, though, getting back to her, says it's not her job. Not her job to train her kid, shape her kid, her job to make sure that they're comfortable, provide for their felt needs so they can be exactly what they want to be. And for her, this includes her male child identifying as a female. And what does our culture say? (laughs) Our culture says, bravo. You go, girl. You're walking in your truth. Amen. Allies, allies everywhere. We'll be a support to you. That's what our culture says. Ephesians chapter six, verse four says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And people may say, well, you know, Mickey, but you can't hold Charlie's Theron to biblical principles. I'm not. I'm holding you to them. I'm holding you to them. And I'm saying that the same measure by which we measure Charlize Theron's interaction with her kids is how we are held accountable. So if we say, Charlize Theron, you have a responsibility to train your kid in righteousness and godliness. Yes, you're right. And you do too. You have a responsibility to parent your children and not let your children parent you. That's right. You do too. I do too. 
But what I'm ultimately getting at is this. There has been such a departure from the truth of the word of God that we can hear elements of Charlie's Theron's story and we can believe that some elements of that are true. You know, those ones of give them everything that we possibly can to live their best life. (laughs) And that's that's not what we're called to do. We're called to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, let me reset this. Many of us. Lord help us. Many of us are not going to be confusing our small children by dressing them in the opposite sex's clothes. Many of us. I feel I feel fairly safe in saying, okay? Many of us are not going to be doing that. But what far too many of us are going to do is we are going to believe that we are here as sort of glorified babysitters just making sure that we keep our kids comfortable until it's all over. Until our time is done. Glorified babysitting. That's not what we're here for. And the story here, um, you, you can go read it in its entirety over the Daily Wire. It's very sad because it goes into detail about um, Charlie Theron's childhood and her upbringing and the type of abuse that she watched her mother suffer um, at the hands of her father. And ultimately, in warning here, this is kind of graphic, but ultimately she witnessed her mother shoot her father dead in self-defense. Now, why do I bring that up to you? I bring that up to you because that is a public example of a lot of the private pain that people are experiencing daily, not only in this country, but around the world. And it is masqueraded as something else. So Charlie Theron's private pain, she's made it public And how is it reflected? It is reflected in her treating her son as if he's a girl. Why? Because she did not live the type of comfortable. She did not live in the type of mental stability that she should have lived in as a child. So she has set it as her endeavor, as her goal and as her aim to make sure that her kid never experiences that. And going too far with this desire She has brought upon her son a different type of mental anguish. Because what do we know? What do we, we know that no one changes their sex. We know that every cell in your body screams out confirmation, not lying, not deceiving. Every cell in your body screams out who God has made you to be. Men do not become women the very best that they can hope for is to become feminized men and women do not become men. The very best that they can hope for is to become masculinized women. And again, I, I, I'm telling you, we're going to have Laura Perry with us. I'm at the marriage family and life conference in June. And I cannot recommend enough that you pray about joining us. You can go to urbanfamilytalk.com. You can check it out. You can look at the schedule at a glance. You can see who the speakers are going to be. I cannot stress enough that you really prayerfully consider joining us. Laura Perry lived for about a decade as a man. Notice that I didn't say transgender man. And you come to the conference and you'll hear why. 
was a title that she actually rejected. She had chest reconstructive surgery, a double mastectomy. She wanted to live as a man. But one of the things that we often overlook and, and the things that we you know, care not to speak of in this culture today where we are trying to allow people to live their truth is we don't talk about the secret and the private pain that those people endure. And so in light of that, you step back and you think about Charlie's Theron raising her seven-year-old son as a girl and you say, what kind of trauma, what kind of damage is being done to that boy? And we are celebrating that not only in this country, but around the world world. That's a problem. That's a problem. And it should not be overlooked. And I say it all the time, we don't take our cues from the world. We take our cues from scripture. I've got another story here that I want to couple with this before we run out of time in this segment. California lawmakers are proposing a change in the state's mandated reporters law that would require pastors to notify police if they believe parents are failing to provide enough emotional warmth for their children or attention or normal living experiences. The law currently requires teachers and others who have an ongoing relationship with families to contact authorities with suspicion of child abuse. But now California has turned its attention toward expanding that law to cover, you know, perceived comforts or discomforts of children while in the care of their parents. And they want to make pastors comply with this law. So pastors now would be the ones who'd stand up and say, you know, I don't know if that's loving that you're doing that to that kid or, and I know I may be out of my mind to think that this ultimately goes in this direction, but could it be that they would now then have pastors who are saying, wait a minute, you, are you trying to get our, you want us to minister to your kid about their sexuality. You want us to tell your kid the truth about sexuality. That's not warm and loving. You know what? I think that's child abuse. I'm going to report you. I know it. I know you're like, Miki, you can't go. You can't, you can't just, you can't just go there. You can't just arrive there. But can I, I mean, don't we see this all across this country? The banning of so-called conversion therapy. Like don't, don't we see this happening that this is abuse. This is abuse. So if we expand the definition of abuse to saying that you're not providing for the warmth and comfort of children, and then we get pastors involved and say, now the pastor can report you for not being warm and loving. Where will the parent go when they have problems? For the kid who's sexually confused, the ultimate end game is nowhere except to jail if you don't comply or worse suffer the loss and affection of your own children gotta grab the break we'll be right back talk chick-fil-a stay close equipped with chris brooks this program is an apologetic endeavor what i want to do is really train you in the art and science of defending and commending your christian faith to people who maybe they've been hurt by the church maybe they don't believe like you believe and you're saying to yourself how do i have an effective conversation with them well we're looking for an evangelistic edge if you will that will allow us to more effectively more contextualize the gospel so that we can reach men and women for christ 
Christ. Quite often, the on-ramp, if you will, is looking at culture and taking advantage of the conversations that folks are already having and saying, how can I leverage this to get people to talk about Jesus? This show becomes kind of massively significant to you if your desire is to reach people for Christ. Get equipped with Chris Brooks. Join me Monday through Friday at noon Central Time on Urban Family Talk. Doc, I've been feeling a little out of sorts lately. Can you help? Well, let's try a few questions. What do you think of when I say the word Roku? Oh, my wife and I used to love that dance when we were younger. (laughs) Yes, I'd say you're a little out of touch. What do you recommend? I recommend you listen to AFR, American Family Radio, available on Apple and Android products, Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku. And then we'd whip, and then we'd nay-nay. Oh, it was wonderful. Uh, Holy Spirit speaks to everybody. The problem is most folks don't listen. Lonnie Poindexter. If they do listen, they don't take it to heart or they get fearful or whatever. But when you listen and act upon it, wonderful things happen. And because a man of God heard the voice of God and acted upon it, it blesses me today and you as well for listening in. Lion Chasers, weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. Donald Trump's America. The Mueller report continues to be poured over by members of Congress, but supporters of President Trump say the focus of the investigation needs to shift. The president's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, said on NBC's Meet the Press that no obstruction has been found. When you find out that the allegation is untrue about the man you've been investigating, Mm -hmm. you turn around right away and you investigate how did it happen. Democrats have turned their criticism to Attorney General William Barr for, they believe, downplaying the report's findings. House Intelligence Committee Chair Adam Schiff on ABC's This Week says Barr should not have been in this position. He absolutely should never have been even considered unless he recused himself from an investigation in which he had such an obvious bias. The president also has an eye on Sri Lanka, where Americans are among the dead after the Easter Sunday bombings. The State Department advises Americans in Sri Lanka to shelter in place for their safety. Gernal Scott, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I'm Miki in for Stacy, and uh, in this last segment, we're going to spend some time talking about what. Um, I'm not embarrassed to say is one of my favorite topics. We're going to talk about Chick-fil-A. And I have joked that, you know, whenever people start messing with Chick-fil-A, I kind of get excited. I have, I've joked about that because I feel like it's going to turn into a call uh, for activism. And Chick-fil-A activism always involves spending your dollars there, right? Like whenever people start messing with Chick-fil-A, I'm like, we've got five kids. We're going to go all be activists today. We're going to go do it. We're going to put our money where our mouth is and we're going to sacrifice. Okay. Um, But really, when we talk about what is happening with Chick-fil-A and San Antonio, um, it's probably not really a joking matter. 
We probably need to look deeper into what's happening there and why we as Americans should all be concerned. Now, look, we still go out and buy Chick-fil-A. We still support. (laughs) Um, But we should really take seriously what's happening in San Antonio to help us talk about this uh, this evening and to make sense of what's really going on is Pacific Legal Foundation attorney uh, and author of the op-ed that I read uh, regarding this, uh, Daniel Ortner. And the op-ed is uh, San Antonio and Chick-fil-A shows why free speech matters. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So let's catch our listeners up to speed. If there's some people who maybe are not familiar, um, I know here at our ministry, you know, we were encouraging people to support Chick-fil-A and stand with Chick-fil-A and and, and free exercise of religion in this country. Um, But let's catch some of our listeners up who may not be aware of what originally happened in San Antonio. Sure. So so I guess to give you a background first, uh, Chick-fil-A has been targeted for several years because the for uh, several years ago, the CEO spoke out uh, openly uh, on the topic of um, same-sex marriage and, and defended a traditional uh, interpretation of marriage. Uh, now, in recent week, in the recent last month or so, uh, there was a hit piece in, in Think Progress criticizing Chick-fil-A for donating to groups such as the Salvation Army, you know, a charitable group that does immense uh, work with blood drives and giving to you know children without without financial means to get back Christmas presents. You know, and they were labeled as an anti-LGBT group, and so Chick-fil-A has kind of become targeted by several municipalities. Uh, San Antonio, uh, the city council there uh, last month voted. To exclude Chick Fil A from the city's airport, uh, they were uh, being in negotiations uh, in negotiations for the, for a contract to open up a restaurant there, and they've uh, voted to exclude the the restaurant because of the the or the entity the the corporations don- donations to groups like the Salvation Army. Uh, and then last week there was a another vote, uh, revote, uh, effort to get the council to vote again or reconsider the issue, and that that failed. So now the city is not going to reconsider their decision to exclude Chick Fil A from the airport. This seems like an open shut case of religious discrimination, um, which should not be allowed in our country. We talk about First Amendment rights. Why is this gray? Why why is this hazy? And and what is it that we're missing here? Well, I, I don't, don't think it should be gray or hazy. Uh, I, really, to me, it's a, a, it is a religious freedom issue, but also really a fundamentally a matter of freedom of speech under the First Amendment. Uh, the, it's been the, the you know, clear understanding in this nation for, for decades that you know, the government uh, is not entitled to decide which views are orthodox. Uh, mm-hmm. The Supreme Court decades ago held that. You know, the government cannot prescribe what is orthodox in politics, religion, or other matters of opinion. Uh, and so here the government is saying, well, well, we disagree with your viewpoint on, on these topics. We think uh, they are uh, bigoted and abhorrent, so we get to exclude you from a government contract. And that, that is not permissible. That, that should not be allowed. Uh, you know, the, the, it would be different, a different story if the city is saying, you, know, you can't have a policy in your store, in our airport, of uh, excluding LGBT customers, which there's no accusation Chick-fil-A has ever done. Uh, but when when it comes to their private speech outside of the contract of the government, I think it's an open, it should be an open shut First Amendment free speech case. Yeah, I think that's important what you just mentioned there, Daniel, because I think that what people often don't realize, and, and there may be some people who struggle with understanding that what we are not talking about is Chick-fil-A discriminating against someone directly by either not allowing them to be employed or not serving them chicken. That's not right. what we're talking about, nor has that ever been what we're talking about. We are talking about 
personal religious conviction. We are talking about the right to run your business according to your deeply held religious beliefs and in your own personal conduct, where you give your money, where your resources go. I think it was like Fellowship of Christian Athletes they also gave to that uh, San Antonio had a problem with. So it's important for us to make that distinction, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely essential, and, and it's, it's important to, to recognize also that this is not about private individuals speaking. And we, we have in this country, we, we expect a robust debate about issues. You know, if people don't like Chick Fil A and don't like their stance, they can use their wallet and they uh, vote against Chick Fil A with you know not not spending money there. And that's private speech, and that's completely within the realm of the First Amendment. But when the government is the one stepping in and acting and censoring viewpoints and saying, well, if you disagree with our our consensus on this topic, you are a big and you're going to be excluded, that's getting into really dangerous territory when the government is the one who gets to decide what is permissible, what is impermissible. Uh, and I think also there, there's just this, this zeal um, of um, progressives right now on, on these topics where they're so sure that they are right, that they have all the answers on this topic, that any debate, any dis- disagreement, any effort to find a compromise or an accommodation or a balance Anything like that is, is bigoted and hateful. Uh, and that, that's really dangerous, where we get to the point where we're, we're so sure of our convictions, we're so sure that our position on this topic is so right that we, we won't even hear someone else's position on it, where even the, the idea of, of someone else having, disagreeing is, is hateful. That, that's really dangerous. It is dangerous. And, you know, I'm really glad that you make that point, too, because I think that that's why we keep um, having these conversations over and over again, because, excuse me, there seems to be great certainty that we are right. Like there is this posture that we're on the right side of history, that, you know, if you disagree with us over human sexuality, then you are the bigot ones of culture and that you're you're basically going to just um, either die out literally or your ideas will die out. And so there there is a certain amount of arrogance there. Yeah, I agree. And really, there there are difficult questions about the balance of religious freedom, LGBT rights. These are difficult issues that require dialogue, debate, consent, and reaching a consensus. And that's what the First Amendment is there for, to create a marketplace of ideas where you can debate, you can disagree, you can come to uh, differing bring different opinions and ultimately come to a consensus of some sort. That, that process is shut, out, shut down completely when there's a sense, a sense of hammer as soon as you speak out. When as soon as you, you say a word, contrary to the consensus, you are excluded. And it, it really is uh, scary. It's really Orwellian in many ways. Uh, and the, the, the way this happens is there's an equation of speech and violence, where if you are speaking against the... Uh, against LGBT rights, let's say, or, or for uh, uh, traditional understandings of, of religion or sexuality, you are committing vi- acts of violence. And that equation mm-hmm. of speech and violence it, it is false, and it is, very, is deeply contrary to the First Amendment, where the founders you know, believed that they were not cowards, and they did not exalt order at the cost of liberty. They did not believe that those that we wanted to, to protect everyone from ideas that they hate or disagree with. Instead, they understood that what we need to do is allow different perspectives to be voiced, even those that we hate, even though those that we think are hateful or, or um, vile, we, we allow for expression. And that ultimately leads to a robust debate and to the better of the country. Yeah, but, you know, unfortunately, I mean, 
and, and you and I agree on this. Yeah. You know, disagreement is not violence. It's not, um, you know, synonymous to, you know, being physically accosted or anything like that. But to to approach discussions in the public square uh, from this premise, though, has been overwhelmingly effective. I mean, it is it has silenced people in the public. There are just things that we don't say openly anymore. Daniel, there are things that we just won't discuss because, you know, we we don't want to be Bull Connor in our generation. We don't want right. to be those hateful, bigoted people. I mean, I, you know, speak to that a little bit. I mean, because no, it's it's not true, but it has been effective. This ploy that leftists use. Yeah, I think it's it's really un- unfortunate. We don't create space for people to to hold different opinions. You know, to, to disagree ultimately, and I, I think it really cheapens our. our Discourse, a political discourse. It, it leads a lot to, I think, to polarization, where you know we don't, we no longer talk to each other. You know, we have parties, uh, political parties that, that speak past each other. They're kind of living in different, different universes of, of understanding of the world, and that's what happens when, when the first, when the marketplace of ideas is not allowed to, to exist. When you know, we don't listen to different viewpoints, but we, we react so quickly and exclude other, exclude them from consideration. It, it just creates. Polarization it creates uh, do, doesn't lead to consent, to any consensus or any compromise. You know, we, I, I think I, I uh, went to law school at Brigham Young University in Utah, uh, mm-hmm. and there the state of Utah you know, enacted a fairness for all legislation, which is what they called it, which tried to balance religious freedom and LGBT rights, and that just can't happen in most parts of the country because the, any attempt to compromise. Uh, is treated immediately with cries of hatred and bigotry, and it, it just do, it doesn't lead to good policy, and it doesn't lead to uh, good debate or, or or really anything constructive at all. What is the wisdom, you know, as you said, and and as you've you know undertaken to not only write about this but uh, defend the liberties that we have in this country? What is the wisdom that is inherent in the founders' desire that the government would not decide what is to be protected speech or what should be censored? What do you see as the inherent wisdom in that? Yeah, I, I think I think it's really fundamental that the government, when the government does something, it uses the, the power of. of Force. It can jail people. It can find people. It can bring people into court, uh, and it can, you know, really drive out different viewpoints. So the founders had seen religious conflict and also political conflict. You know, uh, Protestants persecuting, uh, being persecuted and, and, and burned as, as heretics. Uh, they, they, that, that was the background that they really understood, and we've lost sight mm-hmm. of that. We've forgotten, you know, this his, this heritage of where they they saw that you know, uh, government force. To exclude those we disagree with leads to these horrific consequences, and they understood mm-hmm. that. And so, when they drafted the First Amendment, uh, and each of the the, the the states also had this in their constitutions, they understood that there needs to be room for disagreement. Ultimately, that creates a, a, a democratic republic can only exist in those conditions where you have people that can disagree and, and deliberate openly. So what's next for Chick-fil-A? I, I know. So, you know, San, San Antonio has doubled down. I know right. that uh, Senator Ted Cruz has weighed in on this, at, at least via Twitter. Uh, what's next for Chick-fil-A in, in San Antonio? Where do they go from here? 
I, I don't know whether they're going, going to file a lawsuit in this case. I, I have no no inside knowledge on that. But I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, if they did, I think they'd have a very good chance. There, there's a lot of evidence here of a very voluminous record of the council, you know, saying we are going after Chick Fil A for this reason. It's not a secret in this case, and this is a great case for you know, if anyone whoever does take their case up, it would be a great case where there's so much evidence in the record that they were going after Chick Fil A specifically because of the group's religious views, political views, do- donations that they've given, which is is considered speech. So I think they have they have a very strong case of of um, under the First Amendment under both the Free Exercise Clause and the Free Speech Clause of the Constitution, and the Establishment Clause, actually, as well, because this is government targeting religion. So I think under all three of those clauses of the Constitution, they'd have a very strong case. I don't know if they'll do so, but I I think if they do, I think they have a very good chance of winning. Before I let you go, um, what is the mission of your organization, Pacific Legal Foundation, and then how can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, Pacific Legal Foundation is one of the nation's largest and most, I think, most effective public interest law firms, and we fight for individual liberty. We fight against government overreach. We help people who have been targeted by the government to sue the government and win. Uh, we have had a lot of success at the at local uh, and the, at the yeah, local courts and at the Supreme Court of fighting for for individual freedom, for property rights, for speech rights. Uh, our website is specificallegal.org. Uh, anyone who uh, is interested can go take a look at the cases we've done, at the cases we're fighting now, uh, and uh, help join our join our mission. Very good. Thank you so much, Daniel. I appreciate appreciate your time today. And and yeah. I like that you say uh, we, we help people sue and win because that's important. That's right. <laughs> it's, one, it's one thing to sue, but it's something totally different to win. So it's good that's that we right. can have we, both. We, we fight as hard as we can to win, to win uh, for our clients and for those that are fighting against the government. For, so we, 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 fight, we fight hard for that. Very good. Thank you so much. Daniel Ortner, Pacific Legal Foundation, PacificLegal.org. Uh, we appreciate the time that you spent with us. Thank you so much, Daniel. All right, I want to move on to a story that I want to kind of couple with that in the last couple of minutes that we have before we wrap up the show today. Uh, when we think about Chick-fil-A and we think about where we potentially could go, um, you know, I think about the ultimate aim, which is to really silence Christians in our culture. Uh, the ultimate desire, the ultimate goal is to remove any forms of morality, to remove any conscience from this country so that we end up uh, with a situation that they're facing um over in China, I read this headline, uh, Chinese police beat 60 Christians and closed church uh, and then bury Bibles. That's the headline that grabbed my attention. And then here is the story in the time that we have left. More than 100 Chinese police officers and SWAT team members closed a newly constructed church and beat dozens of Christians who were guarding it and then buried Bibles and hymnals before leaving. This incident took place in early January, but it's just now being reported by the watchdog organization Bitter Winter. Um, Chinese officials seized the church's cash and other possessions. When you don't fight for your rights, it should not surprise you that we could be headed down a path where we end up in a situation where we just don't have any rights, where people can just barge into our churches and take what they want and leave us afraid. The wisdom of God should not be ignored. All right, that's it for Stacy on the Right. I'm Miki. It's been great to be with you. Until tomorrow, you all be blessed.